Test, test, test. Uh, yeah, I think so. Try it again. Test. One more time. Test. Yeah, as long as you keep pretty damn close to yeah, that, you should close. be fine. Which Rado, which Rado Mysterioso intro? It's Greg, anti-ETH, or, or old-school original? Uh, it's Greg. Okay. <laughs> hey, who? What? Get your hands up! Yeah, where you are, don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. <laughs> It's Greg. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Okay, I'm all right. It's uh, Radio Mysterioso here on uh, January 21st of 2018, second show of the year. Let me hook in... Uh, Go rightly's mic, and we—I didn't since it's uh, go rightly, and we've known each other for so long. I didn't. Uh, I just said, let's do a show, and it could be a you know a half hour, an hour, two hours. I do not know. It depends how much uh, we decide to talk about, and if somebody pulls in in the back in the in the parking lot, and tells him to move <laughs> his car, in which case we'll just play some music. I'll have to pop up and uh, yeah, run out there. That's why they call it a pop up. That's right, exactly. You you saw the Roddy Mysteriosa T-shirts, right? Oh, there, there's there's the merch. There's Paskey. Yeah, they're very cool. I want to get one of the Paskeys. Yeah. yeah I've sold a bunch of um, Do Not Engage shirts and um, a few of the uh, these uh, Jeff Ritzman Radio Mysterioso shirts, which mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I thank nice him again design. for. And then uh, J.T. Linders, who did the uh, original logo of, of Radio Mysterioso, did this... Uh, Criswell uh, design, which nobody has bought yet. Shit, they're all cool. I'll probably, uh, I'll at least pick up a uh, Paskey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I should have figured, I should have pegged you for being a, a, a Paskey t-shirt. Uh, yeah. Paskey is a mascot of Ronnie Mysterio. So, so. Uh, Paskey didn't have a mouth, right? No. Closer. So, Paskey didn't have a mouth, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no reported mouth on the Pascagoula alien, no. We get, should give uh, props to uh, Josh Cutchin. He came up with the uh, 
I think so, yeah. I think he said, "Is that, that's Paskey. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, he brought that to Paramania? Yeah, Miguel brought a... That's right, yeah. He got a... Um, he mounted a uh, the, the, the Pascagoula alien from the cover of It Defies Language onto foam core and cut it out very carefully. Oh, I see a mouth there. Yeah, he put a mouth on it. I think it was Josh. It said it was Paskey, so um, we we uh, that that has become the the his actual name, <laughs> Paskey the Pascagoula um, uh, elephant skin robot alien. Um, you know we're t- we're talking about people producing uh, paranormal shows and UFO shows. I just got a ni- concept in my head. Part of it, you could have a little animated part of the show for a couple minutes where you'd show Paskey and. <laughs> <laughs> the guys have their who is it, Hickson and uh Yeah. A Parker and Hickson. Yeah, have their little encounter, you know. Yeah. Have Miguel do the uh animation for it. <laughs> you could do it like drunk uh history. Drunk history. You could be yeah. sitting around a campfire and as you're talking about it then have the illus- illustration work that into it. Yeah. See, I'm an idea man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be cooler than all this other uh, crap that we don't watch? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, We are still at the end of working on uh, the uh, book, which will be known as A is for Adamski, right? A is for Adamski, the golden age of UFO contactees. Whoa, does it have to be? Can I hold it like that? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'll just hold it. I'll keep it at yeah, that helps the right actually. distance. Okay, actually, and then I'll adjust the low. Okay, now we're about the same. Yep, that's the d- title. A is for Adamski, the Golden Age of UFO Contactees. Uh, why the hell did you? And you, you rooked me in on. Damn it! I threw Pasky on the floor. You ro- <laughs> poor Pasky. You you rooked you rooked me in on this to uh, uh, help out with the book, which I was honored to do, but. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you want to do another Contact e-book? I don't know if there's any been any Contact e-books like this Contact e-book. You, have you seen any quite similar? No, I really, I don't think so. The uh, the background on it in uh, 2011, I have a buddy named Jim Gilreath, and he you remember Visigoth? Jim uh, like produced uh, some of. Uh, Visigoth show years ago basically did the streaming for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gilreath is friends with Joe Fex, who bought, uh, I think he bought the entire Wendell Stevens uh, photo collection, or a lot of Wendell Stevens. And reportedly, at one time or another, I've heard people say Wendell Stevens had the largest UFO photo collection. Yeah. And so, yeah, he put out all those books, like, what, three, four, five, five volumes of UFO photographs. I've only got, like, the first two, but they're pretty amazing. I, yeah, I haven't really seen those books, but... Uh, I think he first published um, Billy Meyer's stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, part of that collection was these photos by... Damn, that's, that's a brain fart there, but... Uh, that's the, all my brain does these yeah, days. Yeah, the Bob Beck collection. Oh, okay, okay. And Bob Beck in the 50s and 60s went out to all these California UFO conventions and took photos of the contactees. So at one time or another, around 2010, 2011, 
Jim Gilreath told Joe Fex he ought to uh, publish those photos of the contactees. So they did uh, something on Lulu that didn't come out real well. It was just black and white, and the photo reproduction was pretty crappy. And there was all all that was in the book were uh, the photos were just basically captioned. You know, I thought number one, it's these are a bunch of cool photographs, and yeah. it'd be good to have this expanded where each of the uh, contactees you had a little biography. And so I thought of uh, the concept of a who's who's list and approached you about it at one point. I remember we were in New Orleans and you said, yeah, I'll do this. And God, it was that long ago. So we did. Yeah, that was uh, 2012, I think. Yeah, when, <laughs> when we were uh, talking to uh, uh, Colonel Beauregard. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if there's been anything quite... Uh, I can't think of anything. Uh, sort of Jerome Clark's books are uh, similar. They're kind of exhaustive about, you know, he goes into a lot more details about sightings and whatnot. This is more like just a rundown of the different contactees and their experiences, not always looking at it, uh, the scientific evidence or anything like that. Just uh, No, it's more, it's more um, what? Feature-based, sociological, um, academic sort of uh, semi, yeah, semi academic. But you know, I can't it's, help it's myself. It's pop writing. It's pop writing. Yeah, and you too. Sometimes I get over the top uh, humor or snarky or whatever. I did a couple times in what I wrote too. But you, you know, you can't help it. You, you just have to do it. There, there is humor to be seen in these, some of these things. You have to bring it up, and it doesn't mean you think that these people were full of crap all the time or not. It's just, it's. Just, I mean, you have to face some of the stuff in this that's actually pretty, pretty damn funny. Yeah. So there's a anybody who picks this up, there's going to be even if you're really into this stuff, you're into the old school contactees. There's going to be people you never heard of because I never. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear of about a, a th- of third of them that, yeah. that came up. Um, three or four I probably wrote about, and the rest of them you did, because I think you did the lion's share of the work on this. And so there's about a photo there for every contactee that's, that we talk about in the book. There might be a couple missing just because yeah, couldn't there, find there's, any. There's no anymore. way. A lot of them are exclusive to the book. Some I snatched or Greg snatched here and there. Who are the couple people that really stand out where you just kind of said, I'd never even heard of this person. They're fascinating. I've got a couple, actually. Well, we both ended up doing a passage on uh, Paulina Peavy. <laughs> yeah, completely. Fa- um, Tim Cridland actually um, posted something on the Radio Mysterioso group about it. And I said, what? And so I went, went and started looking up. And she's got a whole website somebody's put up for yep. her. Her family, I guess, helped put her to, put together an um, art exhibit of her stuff a few years ago. I think it was in a, L.A. here, maybe. I thought it was in New York. Well, okay. I think you're right. Yeah. Because she lived in New York for the last 30 years of her life. But her first, the first half of her life, she lived in Los Angeles, actually, uh, for a greater part of it. Did you read the site, the Paulina Peavy artist bio site? There was mm-hmm. a section in it where, you know, kind of a year by year, what they could pick up of her life. If people don't know, she was uh, an artist, lived in the, um, born in 1904 or five or something, died in the late 90s. She was like 98 or something like that. But she was an artist all her life. She didn't have such a great life, at least up to when she just decided to, you know, be her own person and, and deal with her artwork. 
but she said that she had a uh, an an alien friend called Lakamo or Lakaimo that 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 she channeled her art through. But in the in the bio, uh, there was a section that's uh, where they said where she was exhibiting in L.A. exhibited this gallery, this gallery, this gallery. There's there's no, but there's no, you know, this is only from her own uh, autobiography, and no way for us to know this. I went through newspaper archives online and I found an ad from that gallery that they said that they couldn't find any evidence that she'd exhibited. The gallery put the ad in in 1938 or whatever it was and said, so-and-so Stendhal, I think, gallery, Wilshire Boulevard, LA, Paulina Peavy drawings um, and um, uh, uh, sculptures, etc. So I actually sent that to them and asked them some questions, but they didn't write back to me, unfortunately, yet. Now, I know she was exhibiting as far back as the 30s. I'm not sure when she started talking about her Martian friend. Yeah, I I couldn't really – I don't know if she called it her Martian or whatever it was friend until maybe the 50s when people started calling uh, Mm – you know, channeling entities and calling them space people. The way this worked out, actually, I wrote an entry before you knew I wrote an entry. Yeah. And I found out about her in uh, Paris Flamonde. How do, how do you say Flamonde. his name? Flamonde. In his book. Uh, <laughs> uh, dis, uh, February 10th, 1935 is the ad. 23. Pe- yep. February 23. Pencil interpretations, block print sculpture by Paulina Peavy. February 4th to February 23 at the Stendhal Gallery, 3006 Wilshire Boulevard. Here in Los Angeles, actually not too far from where I live. So what she did, she channeled her art uh, from the Space Brothers or whoever. At one point, she was saying they were uh, the guy from Mars. And among the stuff she channeled were these very ornate masks. You know, they're kind of like uh, Mardi Gras-type masks, maybe, some of them. Yeah, they they were very elaborate masks that she said that she that I guess the space people told her she said when she wore them it was easier for her to do her artwork she would actually wear them while she was painting and drawing and all that to help her channel whatever it was and on Long John Nibble she actually yeah she wore does one of the masks channel yeah yeah she channeled it's funny it sounds like it sounds like she's the first when she first starts talking it sounds like she's tripping over something well what happens usually is we get the oh 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 <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've listened to it. It's on YouTube, Long John Nibble, uh, yeah, party line. And she's there with. Uh, Let me see if I can find it. Andy Sinatra. Yeah, and Andy. It, you can see Andy's. Andy's doing everything he can not to get in the way, because you can tell he really wants to. Because <laughs> when he starts talking again, it's like he's been bottled up for so long he wasn't able to talk. I have problems listening to some of those old shows because some of the audio quality is such crap on them. Yep. But there's a whole, whatever, two, three, four-hour episode with uh, Paulina Peavy and Andy Sinatra, the... Uh, the Mystic Barber. The Mystic Barber is one of the more interesting characters in the book as well. his house. He felt that he woke up during the night and he had a very strong desire to... Oh, that's Andy. Well, that's covered by hallucination pretty clearly when Benjamin, you're the master Pritchard. Well, I'm going to... <laughs> Danny Sinatra going at it. I don't know if you're a brother Pritchard or not. Oh, uh, no, now, I don't have to be. Now, one day we'll move 
women are crying to us. They want to take us in. It's like an episode of the Three Stooges. Sometimes we're hypersensitive to this. As I work in a mental institute, not life, where they have atrophy of the bone, the bones become hard. They hear through their bones. That's funny. I don't see it on YouTube, but I know it's available. I mean, it, it's it's linked from Paulina Peavy's site, oh, yeah. actually. No, I've, I've seen the episode on uh, YouTube somewhere. Huh. Okay, it's an, it, it. There's a link to it from her website. I just wanted um, people to be able to hear what 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 she sounded like because um, I listened to that when I first heard about this. I um, archive. There it is. Um, I was actually making dinner, and I just sat in the kitchen with. I, I stopped making dinner. I, w- I was so. Venusians. Oh, there she is. And we heard this different voice. Oh, there it is. Voice is coming through me. As far as masks are concerned, and she tells us that it's important that she wears this mask during the time that she's in the trans state. Now, Miss Peavy has not gone into the trance as yet. I wonder if you'll assist her, Dave, so that she can get up a little closer to lean on the table in front of the microphone. We'd like to talk to her for a moment first. Miss Peavy, when did you first realize that you could go into a trance? Uh, at least 25 years ago, I heard uh, voices, very strange voices coming through me. Coming through coming, you? Yes. Startled me uh, a very great deal, although I had been uh, investigating uh, the mystery of my paintings. Uh, which started coming 25 years ago. Now, I explain uh, when when such power moves in, the. Uh, Strange sounds are caused by the power taking over. Uh, you see Paulina squirming about because we are putting into her being high voltage. And in order to receive us and maintain herself, she has had to build up her electrodes to meet our high voltage. Well, that's the way they come in. And then they release me, and then apparently I talk. Uh, May I interrupt just a moment? Uh, Mm -hmm. Miss Peavy evidently just came out of a trans state. I can assure you, being very honest with the with the listeners, I had absolutely no knowledge that she would be in the trance state that soon. And in fact, I was just starting to interview her, and all of a sudden, she sort of went back in her chair, and we heard this different voice. How do you feel when you're in a trance, Pauline? Well, I feel uh, very exhilarated 
And uh, now, as you will see, this is not the voice of Paulina, for we have not released her entirely. Although we have prepared her, that when we come through, we are using her exactly as you use your microphone. We are beings existing in a world of too high frequency for your comprehension. And we need to lower our frequency by this manner that our thought will be audible to you. Well, that's Paulina Peavy. Um, and I listen to that. <laughs> I get emotional listening to it. I just, I, for some reason, I, I feel like art is being created right in front mm-hmm. of me as I'm listening. And she was a very talented artist. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a book that features some of that art called My Life with UFO. <laughs> Not My Life with UFOs or The UFO, My Life with UFO. Which is at her website, which we're looking at right now, which yeah. I guess is what? Paul- the, the story of my life with a UFO. With okay. a UFO. But the funny thing is that she she calls um, her alien channel a UFO. She doesn't say this is like an alien for whatever. She, goes, she just said Lakaima was the UFO, which is very strange. She doesn't make this distinction between flying saucers and the things that fly them, supposedly. Somehow I got the idea he was from Mars. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Uh, she's got an illustration of um, Lakaimo or Lakamo in there, and it's um, which is a very cool illustration. It looks almost like it looks like something from Sukalski, actually, Stanislaw Sukalski, and it's got a great cover too. You know, the story of my life with a UFO. Her father. Uh, uh, the only quote I could find out from uh, on uh, from her early life is her father said that education was wasted on women, so that gave her a, a uh, in the nineteen in the teens when she was a kid. Um, but she did end up going to school, completing uh, high school, and I think she got a fine arts degree and taught art in the L.A. school system for a while. Mm. I mean, if you if you read the bio, I didn't put all this in the in the entry for her, but. I'm almost moved to like even write a short book about her because yeah. she's just got a, such a fascinating story. But that's just one of the people in the book where I just, you know, I'd never heard of her. And thanks to uh, Tim Cridland, who uh, pointed pointed me at her stuff, I've, I, uh, and then I guess uh, well, uh, Adam I had, had already seen it. Yeah. Well, not to what Tim was sending around, but I saw the Paris Flamenade book. Oh, okay. Material. So I actually wrote an entry that you didn't know about, and you wrote one separately. And I liked yours more than mine. I included <laughs> a couple of lines from mine, but yeah. that's how that worked out. Yeah. You, you did a little bit more in-depth research, whatever, finding out the uh, local information from in L.A. here. Yeah. I just, another thing about this book is, and I've said this on a little bit, I've talked about it, is um, I've made an effort, at least for myself, and I think uh, – uh, Adam did too, to, um, if there was, if we were writing about a contactee that everybody knew about, like, you know, you're writing about a Damsky. What the hell could you write about a Damsky that somebody else hadn't written? Mm-hmm. And to try and do that. Um, I did that with Frank Stranges. I actually, I, and a few others, I went down to the library, looked through microfilm, did a whole bunch of other stuff just to try and, you know, uh, the, uh, Williams, I'm sorry, the, uh, Wilkinson and, uh, Hunrath. 
Um, you told me you wanted me to go down and get something mm-hmm. from the original LA Times Mirror or whatever it was. I can't remember the name of the paper, but I found the original article and got the best image of it that I possibly could. I couldn't find the article that actually had the uh, alien writing in it. Oh, no, you sent it to me. Did I? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It, yeah, that has the writing on it. Okay. Those are the two guys that uh, had uh, worked with, I think, Williamson for a while, went off on their own, started channeling aliens based on, or space people based on what Williamson had done and his Solex Mall, but they created their own language that was kind of an offshoot of that, I believe. And then they said that the their space people told them to meet them somewhere and they had to fly there. They got in a plane and they disappeared. They rented a plane from an airport here in in L.A., the Gardena Airport, which I've narrowed down to about two different airports now. Um, oh, I, well, I tracked down some information on that. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, it's in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it was a short-lived like uh, landing uh, strip, you know, uh, some type of airport. It wasn't like a well. I found yeah, airport. I found two airports that were in Gardena at the time. One of them that rented planes, and the other didn't. So I figured it was the one that rented planes. There was one that was called Gardena Airport, and one that was called something else. I think. Yeah, I think I found some pretty uh, solid information that shows where they. Uh, okay. Did you ever was. find anything about them? Find because I was I I have an email, but I never sent it to uh, a organization that basically just tracks down missing planes, a historical organization. Mm, yeah. And I, uh, I, I never actually sent that email to them because I was trying to get more information about it. No, I, ne- I never heard, got any information. No. Okay. Because, the, the, like I said, the point is if we found something new that we hadn't read before, we would put that in there because I just didn't want it to be, neither did Adam, to be a, a rehash of, of stuff other people had written. Some new information, um, perspectives on people who interacted with each other, uh, um, and little-known information in addition to these uh, uh, never-before-seen or little-seen photos. A little bit on uh, Hun- Hunrath. He came from uh, Racine, Wisconsin. He was an electrician there. And so is his buddy uh, Wilbur Wilkerson. Wilkinson. Wilkinson. Yeah. And so uh, Hunrath got the saucer bug and came out to California and actually spent some time with Adamski. And Hunrath claimed he had this black box called Bosco. <laughs> yeah, that could bring down saucers or something. It could... Uh, oh, airplanes. Well, it could attract uh, saucers with some electromagnet... It generated the magnetism of the saucers or whatever and would attract them or bring them down. It's a little uh, vague. And he also told uh, Adamski that it could gen- generate enough power to power uh, Palomar Gardens. Uh-huh. And so they <laughs> became associated... Uh, for a while, but at one point, uh, he said uh, that it, there was also the potential of bringing down U.S. aircraft, which uh, <laughs> got the attention of somebody. It well, it worried Adamski, and he said, "What you know? What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, actually, the line I quoted from somewhere was, "I don't care." Uh, Hunrath said, "I don't care if it does. We want the saucers." <laughs> <laughs> And so there is the next T-shirt. I mean, there's always variations on the telling of these stories, but apparently, some of the <laughs> next T-shirt is just going to be "We want the saucers." Go it's ahead. in the book, the exact quote, but <laughs> apparently, Alice Wells or one of his secretary or whatever overheard this stuff, 
and she contacted the FBI or whoever, and apparently the FBI and Air Force got involved, and they went out and uh, talked to Adamski, and Adamski and Hunrath had a falling out, and it, that's when... Uh, and so at that time, uh, Adamski had a falling out with Williamson, too, so Hunrath... And, yeah, over uh, channeling or something. This bunch uh, hooked up with Williamson. They went out to... Uh, Prescott or Winslow, wherever they were at that time. And yeah. according to Nick Redfern, I've never seen the actual uh, source of what he's talking about, but they were using a bunch of different method to not only shortwave radio communications, but trans-channeling. They're also uh, experimenting with uh, mescaline or peyote to uh, make extraterrestrial contacts. This is according to Nick. I haven't seen the actual documents. And so they took on uh, ET personalities. You know, one was Furcon, the other. They all had ET names. I'm not sure if they were. Yeah, that all sounded like synthetic fabrics. Yeah. <laughs> and so all that went down, and it got progressively weirder. Yeah, and they vanished. Uh, There's a lot of speculation on what happening if they were supposedly they were going to meet a landing, landed saucer, but then the FBI looked into it and thought there might be something else to the story. They were just trying to disappear. Oh, okay. Uh, anybody else that sticks out for you and your, uh, like a, a story that you didn't realize it, a detail on something? Cause this, this, uh, this book is all about, um, uh, unknown details or previously unknown details. Tried to put some uh, uh, original um, uh, research into it. Mm -hmm. Ah, shit! I don't know. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Where do you start? Yeah, I I don't know. I've and I've mentioned this before. I found out that because uh, people, I guess, so few people knew that Frank Strange just had an arrest record. But I've actually went to the original sources and uh, newspaper reports about him being arrested for being on an airplane with 300 pounds of marijuana in it <laughs> in like 1974 or two or. Maybe it was the late sixties, um, and being and uh, because I can, uh, uh, I've done you know I've got a pilot's license and fly. I've read the story and I was kind of like I think I know what happened. the The witnesses at the airport who called the police, somebody did, said that um, the plane was taxiing out, I believe, and then it just came back, or maybe it just came in, and then they tried to leave, and they decided not to. I think what happened is they landed there to get some fuel. And there was so much pot in the plane, 300 pounds, that when they landed, they probably smacked in and it hit the prop. And if there's a prop strike, you're not allowed to fly. I mean, I guess they were trying to, but they, either the guy taxied out and decided not to. Because if you, you get a prop strike, it could it could ruin your it could break your engine. Oh, yeah. Um, and if, if if nothing else, it makes the prop unbalanced, so everything starts shaking and and it'll vibrate itself apart. So. They, um, I think they just taxied back, and apparently, every a bunch of people smelled the pot. <laughs> if they wonder what was going on, and they called the cops, the cops came out, and then um, the pilot and and uh, strangers were both arrested. Um, and he spent a little time in jail. And when he got out, he just started doing UFO conventions yeah. again, including one I found that he'd done in Long Beach in, I think, the early sixties, early to mid six. No, no, I'm sorry, late sixties. It must have been. Because or early seventies, because he um, he in his literature for the convention, he said uh, Francis Powers is going to be here, the U two pilot, and uh, William Shatner, <laughs> and a couple other people. So the reporter actually called Powers and you know Shatner's agent and all that, and they were like, 
who the hell is Frank Strange? <laughs> or, you know, one of them actually said, yeah, he asked us, but we said, no way. Um, so the reporter goes back to Strangest and goes, what's going on? I called these people and they said, they're not showing up. And he said, oh, well, I guess they decided not to. But if you do come down here, the, the um, oh, because it must have been after, it must have been the late 70s. If you do come down here, former President Gerald Ford might show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of the background. He is quite the rocking tour. He had a lot of uh, stuff going on. Yeah, he's most famously known for Stranger in the uh, Pentagon. He had this tale about Valiant uh, Thor, this Venusian he worked with at the uh, Pentagon, and there were some sketchy photos of Val Thor back in the day at Howard Menger's uh, UFO gathering in New Jersey or wherever that was at, but. Uh, <laughs> Zach Farr put something up on the Rowdy Mysterioso uh, uh, group. <laughs> I think it's uh, Ali Brosh. It looks like her, uh, her um, uh, what's the name of her cartoon? Hyperbole and a Half. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they've actually changed it. What do we want? The saucers. When do we want them now? <laughs> I don't care. We want the saucers. So, Hi, Zach. Hey, Zach. When I was looking into, uh, you know, writing about Discordianism, yeah, uh, I came across. Uh, boy, this gets <laughs> this gets pretty convoluted, but uh, that's a, well, that's what we're here for. Yeah, convolution, and, and it ties into the JFK assassination, kind of, sort of the Garrison investigation with this character named Raymond Brochiers, the Reverend Raymond Brochiers, who claimed that. Uh, he saw Kerry Thornley in uh, New Orleans interacting with the conspirators and Oswald and whatever. But uh, this uh, brochures guy was, uh, he was uh, like a gay minister and had quite a reputation. He got a lot of connections to weird shit too, but there he had this uh, his own branch of, or a church of some sort. Who knows, he might have been one of the few members, but I came across some correspondence where he was mentioned that uh, Dr. Strangest was taking over his ministry at one point and uh, yeah they keep give, they kept giving each other like title ministry titles well that that was the connection there were these like uh, Thomas Beckham another famous name in the garrison investigation they're all part of diploma mills so they would trade you have to get closer different so. certificates and diplomas as a doctor of divinity or as you know law enforcement credentials so that's one of the rackets that uh, strangest had going on and if you look at his books he'll have all his whole resume of all <laughs> all kinds of things he claimed to be and back in the day I'd come across these books oh this guy looks impressive he's a minister and he's uh, recognized in the uh, International Law Enforcement Agency as a brigadier commander and <laughs> these type of stuff. Oh, you got a. Uh, I got some of the uh, from Tim Cridland. I've got actually some of the uh, the uh, old uh, newsletters that Brochures had put out and uh, has uh, a whole bunch of JFK uh, assassination conspiracy stuff in it, along with um, columns by. Uh, brochures and and uh, strangers oh. about various things. Right on. Yeah. This brochures character uh, came to the attention of Garrison in uh, it's like in early uh, 68. He was interviewed in LA and 
brochures claimed that he had been David Ferry's roommate and that Ferry had conf uh, confessed to him that uh, Ferry was like a getaway pilot or whatever. And when Garrison heard that, it's like, oh, shit, let's get this guy out to uh, New Orleans where he testified to a claiming to know that he met Clay Shaw and Ferry and Kerry Thornley was part of the thing. Now, I think he might have known Ferry, but I think a lot of these other names, he just uh, basically heard news accounts and uh, was like weaving weaving a story together. Right. That he, he didn't really witness all this stuff, but he was quite a colorful character. He ended up back in San Francisco and had a connection. This blew me away. I was listening to public radio uh, recently, he had a uh, connection to the uh, Gerald Ford assassination as well. Or attempted. The attempted. <laughs> right, the attempted assassination. By uh, Squeaky Frome. Mm-hmm. It's a bit to get into here, but the guy, it's one of those guys who's connected with uh, everybody, it seems like. Uh, Monday the 23rd, a town hall meeting of Concerned Citizens Committee of Church of God of Light present the Garrison Investigation Panel with an investigator from Garrison's office and the Reverend Raymond Brochiers. Oh, excellent. Um, I, I just like the uh, logo at the top. Monday 23. Anyway, he, it, th this is stuff that uh, um, Cridlin had uncovered. I was he, he had just all these pages out when I visited him in Vegas, and uh, he showed me some of the stuff he'd gotten out of that uh, – I think it was a gay and lesbian library mm -hmm. in uh, San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I knew brochures was kind of on the fringes if you follow these because he had connections then to Thomas Beckham and Fred Crisman who were also involved. And they were the same uh, circle exchanging these uh, different certificates and crap. <laughs> yeah. And uh, brochures, interestingly, he became a advocate, a gay activist in uh, – San Francisco, yeah. but he was also a contrarian, so he didn't get along with the, the other gay activists <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> There's all kinds of newspaper articles he was always getting into uh, crap. But um, the thing with JFK, it's pretty interesting. It was on public radio uh, recently. I forget the name of the guy who uh, – he, he was a gay guy in uh, – this showed up one day, and there was a bunch of people at the, I think it was the St. Francis Hotel gathering there in San Francisco. And he goes, what's going on here? Oh, Gerald Ford's going to be showing up in a bit. So <laughs> for some reason, he, he not sure why he did it. He just stood, stood in line. This guy was a Vietnam vet, kind of handsome-looking guy, and he was right by Sarah Jane Moore. Yeah. And he was there for a couple hours. Two Sarah Jane, Jane Moore being one of the uh, Manson family women. Not really. No? That's another story. Oh, okay. Let's not go there. <laughs> okay. Allegedly, she knew Manson, but it's okay. another one of those. But he was there for a few hours, and I can't remember the guy's name. I listened to this NPR episode. He saw her draw the weapon, and he tackled her and became a hero. Mm hmm And so he was interviewed one day, and he thought, that was it. He didn't want the fucking attention. Yeah. And he didn't want it to get out. He was gay. No. Because he came from the Midwest and his parents didn't know about his gay life, but he was active in the gay circle oh, I see, in yeah. San Francisco and was close friends with Harvey Milk. Mm -hmm. And this one, Harvey Milk was becoming an activist and he thought, 
this guy can champion our cause. This will show, you know, that because, you know. The, right. They, and he didn't want to have anything to do no, with it. No, he got dragged into that. And so a, a Herb Kane, I think it was, he, he got involved in the story and he's trying to. The San Francisco uh, columnist. He was trying to confirm that he actually was uh, gay and he knew all the players and the person who confirmed this to him was the Reverend Raymond Brochures because <laughs> Harvey Milk was gone at that time doing something else. And so this avalanche of publicity came down on this guy and I wish I could remember his name. You could probably uh, Google it. It basically ruined his life. Mm. And I think it was on like... Uh, Audio Lab or whatever that uh, program is on NPR. I, Greg is uh, googling as we speak, and uh, Oliver Sippel, a 33-year-old former Marine, tells how he he struck the gun just as it was fired in the direction of President Ford. That's the dude, Oliver Sippel. So, what's the name of the show there? Uh, uh, Radio Lab. Radio Lab. Uh, I'd recommend everybody go, if this sounds interesting to to them, go check this out. It's a pretty fascinating story. Uh-huh. I was just, my wife and I were driving somewhere and that came on. You know, it's like a 45-minute thing. I'm just midway through. They go, <laughs> Reverend Raymond Brochures. Oh, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the little tributaries you go down when you start... <laughs> Evidentiary tributaries yeah. and grounds for uh, what did he grounds say? Grounds for further research, research, like Dave Emery used to say. Anything else you found out uh, that was uh, kind of blew your blew your mind about uh, any of the contactees? Well, it's easy to easiest to remember the last passage I wrote, yeah, because <laughs> we've been writing this over a number of years, and it was pretty much done. Then came across the John Reeves uh, story. Oh, yeah. He wasn't the Florida scout, Scoutmaster guy, was he? No, no, he wasn't that Not guy. Not a Scoutmaster, but he ran a trailer park. He was a retired longshoreman. Florida? Uh, yeah, he came from New Jersey or whatever. Okay, retired yeah, yeah. There. okay then maybe like, that's why I missed it up with the Florida Scoutmaster, because that was Florida, too. Go ahead, He I'm was sorry. in his 60s at the time of this alleged uh, sighting where it became a big deal. It's called the Brooksville incident and he saw a uh, saucer of course uh, land on like tripod legs and this robot creature uh, came out and uh, they you know uh, they just stopped and they were staring at each other for like uh, 30 seconds the robot creature took out something he had a domed helmet on it looked like a, a space camera and took a, a photo <laughs> he, was taking, he was taking selfies with his phone <laughs> and it took a flat he was taking a picture of uh, mr reeves evidently because you know first time i ever seen a human anyway a flash came out of the what appeared to be a camera and reeves got fr uh, frightened as the story goes turned around and uh stumbled in some uh a bush and Dropped his glasses, and the robot came over and picked up his glasses and handed them back to him. <laughs> <laughs> and then the robot got it in his craft and left. The next day, Reeves went on the radio telling the story. And it, Reeves found at the site some tissue paper that, like stuff that had alien writing on them. And there was also footprints, and the Air Force came out and looked at it and said it was all a hoax. But uh, Reeves claimed they took his alien papers and gave him back fake alien papers. And it's <laughs> yeah. Reeves, Reeves, an interesting character after 
that sighting, he went to uh, Venus and brought back also the moon. He brought back some moon dust and other stuff, but he kept those locked in a safe deposit box because he didn't want, you know, you know what happened to his alien papers. He'd show his stuff. And he also went, then he went to Venus and brought back a Venusian flag. Which he made a duplicate of, the real one he kept in safekeeping. And yeah. that photo's in Douglas Curran's book. We're going to use that for... Uh, oh, okay, yeah, because Curran, uh, who wrote uh, In Advance of the Landing, which is a probably one of the landmark uh, contactee, I guess, examinant books. But it wasn't really a contactee book. It was just... Well, he covered The subtitle of- was Folk Concepts of Outer Space, which is exp- essentially what it was. Covers a lot of contactees. And Reeves was your classic uh, guy because... What he did in his front yard, he built a huge, big saucer, you know, a 30-foot saucer that people would come and see. And he was kind of a beloved character. And eventually, for whatever reason, he lost his house to taxes or whatever. And they basically uh, bulldozed down his uh, saucer, which uh, <laughs> pissed off a lot of people. But uh, a lot of people went to see it, celebrities, uh, Jimmy Page, uh, Illuminati High Priestess Tuesday Weld, according to Doug Curran, and uh, who else? Pat Boone. Those are some of the celebrities. So he had all these elements going on. He had the saucer in his front yard. There was also an obelisk he had in his front yard and uh, had the alien papers and just a lot of elements to the story. You can find that Greg's bringing up some... uh, Image search. There you see him with his uh, with a, some kind of round thing in his front yard. Yeah, that's somewhere. that's that's the saucer, the Venusian uh, saucer. It looks like a really badly made <laughs> um, uh, above ground uh, wading pool. It's a replica of the one that took him to Venus. And that photo on the far left there is him uh, pointing out the uh, footprints for the robo creature. Oh, okay. Yes, if you do an Google image search of John Reeves' UFO, you can find it. And then apparently they, he, uh, the Air Force or somebody got a hold of this Venusian writing. And uh, I'm sorry. He, he met with them. He, he did a radio show the next day. I guess Air Force caught wind of it, and they came out after the show, and he gave them the paper, and then he took them out. The, that's probably the picture where he's pointing out the uh, footprints. Right. And uh, Air Force or somebody actually figured out um, they they went through and they actually figured out what it what it said. What they what they did was send it to. Uh, if you get online, you can actually find the Project Blue Book report. They sent it to some specialty, outsourced it to somebody who did you know cryptography or whatever, and they came up with. Uh, I remember actually seeing this in um, the translation in, in uh, I think it was a a Jim Mosley publication, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, because I remember it said something like... Uh, Mars, we are missing you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Why did you stay away too long? Yeah. <laughs> when are you coming back? I think you can find it if you look online. There's, there's a picture of Reeves, but I don't know that the... Uh, that the uh, translation is in there. It's it's in one of my UFO books. Mm-hmm. Did you include? Hmm? Yeah, we have a passage form in the book, and you can actually find the project, the Blue Book report, wherever that is. You know, at Project Blue Book. 
right. dot gum, gov or whatever it is. Yeah. Dot com. I did go to the, uh, I told you this, right? We, uh, when, uh, Cridlin was here, we went to UCLA and looked at the, um, the, uh, Jack Webb collection, mm-hmm. which we had to get out at request out of the archives. Basically, it's, um, probably 10 or 12 archival boxes full of folders. And the, what the folders are, it's about 90% all the blue book files. So, you know, it starts off with, appropriately enough, the first box starts off with uh, uh, Kenneth Arnold. And there's about, I don't, I don't know, 50, 60 different pages of testimony, probably more than that, um, about what the Air Force did with Kenneth Arnold. What they thought of him, what, you know, their, their statements from him, newspaper reports, everything are in there. Um, uh, and if I knew which year that uh, Reeves was, I could look that up. 1968. Okay. Um I mean it's it's all there. So yeah, and the last two boxes actually were uh the reason he had the uh blue book files is one because you know, he was interested in the subject. And two, uh, Jack Webb, the dragnet guy, if mm-hmm. people don't know, um Sergeant Joe Friday, just the facts. Uh yes, he's he, like so <laughs> a weird character to be uh I mean when you think of uh Joe Friday, you know, the, the Joe Friday would think UFOs are nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Webb was all into it. So he produced a show through his company called Project UFO, which is basically just a show, a dramatization based on the Blue Book files. So the last two boxes in there were um, a couple of scripts from the show and also a big, like, show Bible um uh, where some employees from the show, PAs or something, had gone through and looked through all the Blue Book files, summarized every single case in them, which must have been a huge job, in like a paragraph or two, and then decided if, you know, somebody decided somewhere whether they would be good subjects for the show. And so some of them were circled. It's like, yes, we're going to do this one. And this one was done on February, whatever, you know. And the... the um yeah, so if you go down there and you get a library card from all that and you request it, it, it takes about a day, and they'll bring the, the boxes from another oh. facility, and you look at them in, in this one library in a reading room that's locked, and you have to leave all your stuff outside except a pencil. and You can take pictures, though. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of um, images of uh, some of those Blue Book things, which I still have, and I may do something with someday, but uh, it, it's there. If you live in L.A. or in Southern California, it's a, a great resource to go look at stuff. Um, plus the UCLA library has one of the best collections of UFO books I've ever seen. It's better than the LA public library. <laughs> it's probably because they were Jack Webb's. There's a lot of crazy stuff in the, you know, those blue book files, you know, the crazier stories they inevitably, uh, say, oh, well, this is like a hoax or whatever, but, uh, you know, they, they looked at a lot of the contactee material, like all those, uh, Paul Villa photos. Which are crazy. We feature yeah. those in the book, you know. Uh, for some, you scratch your head, you know. These were obviously uh, hoaxed. Why? Why were they taking them to the <laughs> Air Force to be? Exposed? I don't know. It's probably because they just wanted to be thorough. They they didn't want to leave any stone unturned in case possibly there was a, some sort of information they needed in there, or. You know, maybe there's um, maybe there's something subversive or that, a clue that the, there is some kind of threat, even though it, that people think it's UFOs. So I think they were worried about that too. But yeah, in some cases though, it was like V or whoever contacting, yeah, Air Force officials to look at this stuff. Right. Yeah. Shades of Benowitz. 
okay, we've gone for a little over an hour. Uh, do you want to talk about this anymore, or do you want to like adjourn and get a beer? You can adjourn. Okay. <laughs> it is a pop-up show, I guess. I didn't I didn't know how long we were going to go here. We've had a couple of listeners. Thank you for listening live. I will rebroadcast this uh, at uh, the normal time of 8 to 10 p.m. tonight. Uh, okay, guest gets to pick the uh, outro music. How about uh, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. No, no. <laughs> Oh, you said there was that one UFO song you liked that I, I had picked yeah, up play recently. That one, whatever it is. Okay. I 70s think, sounding one. Yeah, I think it was 70s. It's the, um, I think it was probably sometime between 70 and 75. This is at Paul St. John. Flying saucers have landed. Uh, thanks for listening and thank, thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Adam Gorightly for being on. Thank you, and thanks everybody who will listen to this in the future. All right. They came from out of the skies, they came, they came from out of the clouds. Right now.